you will, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Well, this past week, uh, and I hope you know that through this whole COVID, um, I guess, year that we've had or just come through, maybe it's more like 14 months, uh, we've tried to be very methodical and strategic as to how to deal with it as a church family and try to make it as safe as possible. And so we were discussing that uh, probably for about an hour. We constantly talk about it all the time, but even this past Monday, we were there in our staff meeting talking about what we should do and how do we go about it. And and of course, we came to the decision that, you know, that we wouldn't wear masks unless you choose to wear masks, and we wanted to create a section for that for those that wanted to wear masks. Uh, but Gary, uh, our pastor, associate pastor, basically said, hallelujah, we're on the road to Damascus. <laughs> now, how many of you get that? <laughs> on the road to Damascus. He wishes so much that he could have been up here this morning because that's what he would have told you, okay? He's told everyone that he knows that joke, okay? But anyway, uh, we're so glad to see your faces this morning. Uh, at least most of you have stepped outside from behind the mask, and uh, we appreciate you guys. And uh, we definitely understand those that don't feel comfortable doing that as of yet. And uh, we'll continue to provide this section for you. First Samuel chapter 18. Today we're looking at another story as it relates to King David, uh, and we're looking at the whole idea behind the music. And it's basically uh, the activities that are behind the Psalms that actually David has written. We know that David's written about two-thirds of the Psalms. If you go there and study that, you'll find out he wrote about two-thirds of them. And, and what's ironic or what's cool about his situation is that we not only have the activities of his life, what we read in First and Second Samuel, we also have the heart behind what he's going through. And we're going to look at that again today. But the first thing I want us to see as it relates to, to David this morning is this whole idea about his character his character. Now, many of you would say, okay, I know a little bit about King David, but I thought he was the guy who, who made some terrible mistakes along the way. And we're going to discuss that next week. But this week, what I want to talk about is the whole idea of what God saw in him that God was going to use. And it's very evident that God saw something in him. The New Testament writer says that he was a man after God's own heart. So therefore, there was a part of David's life that was open to God in a special and unique way. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning as to what it could have been that, that really turned God's heart towards David. Now, before we jump in there, I want us to look at some thoughts concerning character. Thoughts concerning character. Look here on the screen. And of course, we're talking about good character. It is, it is made of the, inner, of the inner reality and quality in which thoughts, speech, decisions, behaviors, and relations are rooted. Its core lies deeper than values and far deeper than philosophies, allegiance, allegiances, or accomplishments. It is literally the habits of the heart. It is a long obedience in the same direction, some have described it. It is more than a collection of occasional behaviors or a set of good intentions. It is rather who we are through and through. It's, where, it's, it's to the core of who we are. The Hebrew thought sees it as morality and carries the idea of righteousness, which is not just a matter of what we do or say, but is the substance from which we operate. It's literally the idea of a righteous core of existence that is found in God that we live out. 
Lastly, it determines behavior just as behavior demonstrates it. So, so basically what we're looking at is we're looking at character in such a way this morning. Some of you may say, well, could we put integrity in this? And yeah, you could put integrity in this. But it's literally the whole idea of what's inside makes its way to the surface in what we say, what we do, how we react. All those things go into making up our character. And that's what we're going to look at in King David's life this morning. So look at the introduction. When we study the lives of King Saul and the soon-to-be King David, we will find a stark contrast in their character. If you do a study, a careful study of this passage, you'll find that Saul was small in character. There wasn't a whole lot to his character, while David was large in character. Now, as we've already said, David wrote from his heart, and lived a life dictated by his heart. We find that in the Psalms, and it literally gives us the insight to the character of David. Now, does that mean that David always got it right? Does that mean that on occasion, David didn't whine a little bit before the Father? Listen, if you know anything about the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, you're going to be able to identify with many things that he said and wrote as it relates to David in such a way that you're going to say, you know something, I've felt the exact same way before. There's times where I just felt like God turned his back on me. There's times in which I, I'm just not so sure what God is up to with some of the issues that are in my life. And then for David, there were times in which he looked at the whole situation of life, and he said, you know, th this just is, doesn't seem to be fair. Can any of you relate to any of that? David writes about these things. And yet when we look and we peel back what makes this man who he is, a man after God's own heart, we see so much character. So look at the first thing on your outline, the presentation of David's life. There are three times in the chapter we're looking at this morning, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18, in which it says this, David behaved himself wisely. Now, what does that mean? It means he walked properly. He spoke wisely. He acted and reacted wisely. The terminology seems to imply that he walked accurately and carefully as one navigating through a minefield. How many of you feel like that at times in our lives we're walking through a minefield? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like that, when, especially when it comes to dealing with other people, that sometimes you just don't know what's going to set something off? And, and you have those people in your life, and, and, and it's almost like you're trying to walk properly, you're trying to behave wisely, and, and it seems like there's, there's all kinds of things around us that could just go off at any, one, at any moment. David was definitely in the throes of all that. The first thing that we see on our outline is he behaved wisely even in life's promotions. After David defeats the giant Goliath, he now gets national attention. He also, however, gets the attention of King Saul. And that won't play out to his favor too much. He begins what many would call his celebrity life. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. There were many who were taking note of David's life. There were those who were singing his praises in the streets. David has clearly become the new hero of Israel. 
He is now living what many of us would call the celebrity life. Now, because of the depth of his character, David was able to navigate through this popularity wisely. And we'll see this time and time again in what we're looking at today. Now, how many of you have noticed the celebrities of our day? How many of you look at them sometimes and scratch your head and think, what in the world are they thinking? How, how many of you have seen some behaviors and all that? But, but here's what we need to understand. When it comes to people who are put on a pedestal, when it comes to some who, who rise above us and what we see and what we do, there's some good out there, but there's a lot of bad out there too. But what happens? What happens in that situation? The problem is their lack of character or integrity does not support the weight of their life. And that's the reason we see what we see when we look and we think, what were they thinking? How can you have that point of view? How in the world does that work out? And we see it time and time again. There's probably not a day that goes by we don't see this. But there's a whole idea of celebrity and what it can do to an individual when their character and integrity isn't able to hold up the weight of their life. And that's what we seem to observe. At this season in David's life, we see someone, we see a character that has been held up. Next, David behaved wisely even in life's problems. Look at verse 11. It says, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. Now, we read this last week. But how many of you would only take you escaping one time, and that would have been enough? This is the second time. And there's no telling when he's going to erupt again. No wonder David probably saw his life as a, as a minefield he was navigating through. But then, skip down to verse 14. And it says, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. David could have become very bitter, sought revenge, but he remained faithful to Saul. Later, some of Saul's men will literally encourage him to kill King Saul. There's a riot. They're, they're saying there's a revolution that needs to take place. We need to overthrow this madman. But David's response was this. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David saw that Saul was the man that God had raised up at that moment. And he wasn't going to infringe upon what God may be up to as it relates to where King Saul was. And boy, is that a lesson for us all. It's through the problems of life that we can be thrown off course. David could have easily taken things in his own hands. That basically the armies of Saul were aligning themselves under David and saying, hey, let's take care of this ourselves. And David said, no, I have no part of that. No part of it. A true sign of godly character is the ability to walk the right way on the right path, even in the midst of life's problems. Even when people speak against you falsely, misrepresent you, when people just don't like you because of their jealousies, when they don't like you because you're a threat to them, or maybe they don't like you because of their own insecurity. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you ever had people that just didn't like you? And, and you thought their mission in life was to destroy you and your reputation. L listen, Saul was that man for David. 
Saul, Saul wanted him out of the way. He saw him as a threat. There were jealousies. Saul's insecurities were revealed through the life that David lived. And Saul wanted him removed. David had this person in his life. And there's at least five Psalms that David writes that talks about what it means when people come against you, mistreat you, misrepresent you. That is David's story at this time in his life. Next, David behaved wisely even in life's possibilities. How many of you realize there's a lot of possibilities when it comes to life? Yeah, there's so many possibilities. There's so many different ways our lives can turn out based on decisions, based on what we may see, based on how we may feel. And many times those possibilities can be the wrong possibilities. How many of you have lived long enough to see you act on those? And yet there are those times where it's apparent that God is leading our steps. And David seemed to never lose touch of that, at least up to this point in his life. So David behaved wisely. Look at verse 30. It says, Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. David was gathering his celebrity, who he was, what people saw in him, was beginning to grow day by day. He was the next hero of Israel. So David becomes more popular than Saul and could have used his popularity to take the kingdom in his own timing. But instead, he was content and waited on the Lord. How many of you there's been times in your life where you just had to wait on the Lord. You saw what was obvious. You saw it was right there in front of you. You knew how it would probably play out, and yet you just waited. Let's just see how God takes care of this. You see, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been on both sides of this scenario. I've been where I've tried to rush the timetable of God, and it never turns out well. And then there's been those times where I just patiently waited just to see and give God the timing to work it out for his glory, not my own. And you see, David at this point in his life was that man. David, this is important for us to hear. David lived a life that honored the Lord. He also lived a life that God could honor up to this point in his life. Next, we see the priorities of David's life. You know, it's interesting. A lot of your character is revealed through your priorities. When you begin to really look at the true priorities of our lives, here's what I'm convinced. I think we as Americans, we who lived in Western culture, I think so many times we're just so busy. We're so busy that we really have, we don't sit down and think about priorities. We just try to move from one step to the next, from one set of busyness to the next set of busyness. And, and we go, and we don't really take the time to say, okay, let's look at the big picture of the priorities that are really here and what we should be paying attention to. How many of you can get caught up in that when, when, you, don't, when you lose a whole total focus? So many of us can. Another example of David's godly character is seen through the priorities that it appears he set. He carries out his assignments in spite of all the difficulty he faced. What, what, what did he keep? His, uh, how did he keep his priorities straight? Look at number one there. He was surrendered. He was surrendered, not to his own emotions, not to his own what he wanted to see play out, not to his own insecurities that could have easily come out of him also, but he surrendered his life to the causes of God. Look at verse 10. If you go back to look at verse 10. And it happened on the next day 
that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. Now remember, uh, Saul's dealing with a spirit of discouragement and depression. David's there to help soothe him uh, through it all. And, and upon Saul, so he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going, I mean, this, this is something that's already happened one time, and you're telling me Saul's calling me back in to do this again. He tried to kill me the last time I was there. But David didn't have none of that. He surrendered himself to what God called him to, and he was convinced God was in the calling of him to go. So we see He's, he was surrendered. Even though he was in danger, listen, he still carried out his task. Someone has rightly said this, and I actually heard someone say that this, this week. Is nothing can touch us until God is finished with us. That's a big statement there when you think about it. Some of the people that I admire most are out there on the front lines when it comes to witnessing and for the Lord. I think about people around the world that we've made connections with, especially there in, in Asia, and, and that's pretty much how they live their life. We will go until God is finished with us. And deep down they know that, that it, it, it won't be someone slides one in on God and takes them out early. No, when God is finished with us, and we who are children of God that is very important to keep in mind, especially when it comes to the fact that we surrender our lives to him. Second of all, the priorities of David's life, he was steadfast. Look at verse 11, and here's it, here it is again. And David cast the spear, excuse me, Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence at this point twice. And he still does what God's called him to do. He had a job to do, and he was faithful to do it. This past week, uh, our drummer, Keith, his father passed away early Thursday morning. I had a privilege to go sit down with him on Friday and talk with him a little bit. And it's very interesting how all that kind of played out. And, and, and basically, uh, when Keith's here, everyone knows he's here. We, we hear the drums, right? And, and, and I was expecting, and Wes was expecting to have to totally rearrange everything that we'd planned for this coming Sunday because... Most music, you need a good drummer and all that. And, and, and you know what happened? We were sitting there talking, and, and Keith said, there's no other place I want to be than back in God's house. The memorial service is tomorrow. But he was steadfast. Part of it, he wanted to be with his extended family to come here and praise the Lord through the gifts God given him. And what I saw in that was he was surrendered. He was steadfast. Thirdly, he was submissive. Look at verse 13. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. When it says he went out and came in before the people, that literally means his popularity began to grow. It was almost like Saul was caught up in this situation where his insecurities were on display, his fears, his threats, his jealousies towards David, but there was absolutely, it seemed, nothing he could do about it, except for put him in positions in which he may be taken out, and that was another one of these positions here. We're going to see in chapter 24, Saul's going to do the same thing. He's going to give him, a, give him another promotion within the military, hoping someone would come and take him out. But we see... David, through it all, 
He is submissive. Someone has said the difference between the average follower of Jesus and a great follower of Jesus is a matter of their priorities. I've lived long enough, observed many people's lives long enough to know that that is so true. When you begin to look at the people's priorities, the fact that they keep up with what they see in their life, and there are certain things that, that, that won't take the place of those things that they've set as priorities, those are the people that I guarantee you, if you really think about it, those are the people you respect, those are the people you admire, those are the people that God uses mightily because they're submissive. Those things, listen, those things we attach, attach value to determine our priorities. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. Maybe it's something you had not thought about in a long time. But let me ask you this. What are your priorities in your life? What are, what are those things you know God's already called you to? What are those things that are there? That, that, and, and let's face it. Uh, that, that, what do you, when you think about it, what are these priorities? What you value the most, the attention you give things will be the top priorities. For some of us, for us to say those things out loud may be shameful. May be shameful. But think about the priorities that are in your life. Think about what God desires for you. David's priority was serving his God. Therefore, he was submissive to his will and gave it great value. Here, here's another way of looking at it. He saw his life. This is so important. He saw his life in the context of God. Everything he did, everything he touched, the decisions he made, the things he said up to this point in his life were all about he saw himself. There was a bigger picture to his life. And some of you may be sitting here and you say, well, great day. He was the king of Israel, God's people. Of course he did. He wants the same for every one of his children. He wants the same thing for every one of us. He wants us to be surrendered, steadfast, submissive, understanding the values that we place in life. He wants those things to center around his will. David's priority in his life was to be surrendered, steadfast, and submissive to the will of God. Next, we see the perception of David's life. First of all, his public perception. And, and it's interesting where we find these from. First of all, from Saul's family. David, listen, the the, the family of Saul basically began to look at David. And they began to see things in David's life. In chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, this is Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. There became a special bond between David and Saul's son. Now, let me ask you this. If you were to sit there and say, okay, my enemy is David. And son, Jonathan, why would you want to have this great relationship with someone that I consider an enemy, a threat? Now, here's what's interesting about Jonathan. Everything that God's going to give David, everything that God's going to eventually give to David could have been given to Jonathan, and rightly so. And yet, Jonathan respected David so much. Let's get down to verse 28. The last part of verse 28. And that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Now, how many of you would like to be around the dinner table with this family? 
And, and you're sitting there, and, and Saul's running David down, I, misrepresenting him, you know, all these different things, speaking out of his own insecurities, and Jonathan's sitting there saying, well, I love the man. I think he's great. His daughter chimes in and says, I love him too. I, I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> that would be a tough situation, wouldn't it? I mean, they, listen, Saul literally detested David. When it says he eyed him in verse 11, it, means, it meant that David was a target of his wrath. And he was ready to pour it out at any time. So we see it comes from Saul's family. Second of all, it comes from Saul himself. I want you to look at chapter 18, verse 7. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000 and to me ascribed only thousands. Isn't it amazing how our insecurity sounds so much like an eighth grader? I know I pick on eighth graders all the time. It's a wonder we have any that would even show up at this church. But I'm convinced a lot of us don't mature past the eighth grade. I, 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 just, never mind, I'll move on. And then it says this. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. At that point, he would become that that would represent something that he detested. Skip over to verse 28. Then Saul, Saul, say that quick. Then Saul, Saul, and knew the Lord was with whom? David. Even Saul, deep down, as much as he wanted David to be the brunt of his wrath, deep down he saw that God had his hand on him. Do you think there may have been a time in which Saul sensed that God's hand was on him? Yeah, probably was. But all of a sudden, we're sitting here, and things are changing. And a lot of this was born out of Saul's insecurities, his insecurities. When Saul saw David, he saw the man. Listen, he was not. How many of you have ever had someone in your life that produced that same type threat? You knew what God wanted from you. There was a time in your life maybe that you lived like that person and, and, and you, you saw the blessings of your life, but something went wrong in your life and all of a sudden God brings someone into your life and that, that's, that's living out what you should be living out. And it's just a reminder of what you could be and the disappointment that really rests within your own soul and your own discouragement. That's what we find in this story. Next, the perception of David's life from Saul's servants. Look at verse 16. It says, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. They saw, they saw David. There, there was something about him that, that is now make, he's the hero of Israel. His celebrity has risen and people can't get enough of him. They love him. They love what he represents. They love everything about him, it appears. They were impressed with David. David was greater in their eyes than their own king, King Saul. Now, look on your outline. While David's public percep perception was obvious, nothing was more than his personal perception. How he saw himself. That's where the integrity and the character comes out. 
That's what we're going to find here. You see, there are plenty of people who want us to know how great they are. How many of you have met those people? They, they, they want to introduce you to themselves about how great they are. They're always talking about themselves and their achievements, constantly exalting themselves. But that's not where David was from. Listen to his heart concerning how he saw himself. Now, here's the passage we're going to read. I need to set it up for you. Saul offered his daughter's hand in marriage. Now, this is another daughter in marriage to David. Listen to David's response. Now, before the, the, the daughter of Saul that he, he was given, if you remember, because of killing Goliath, was a part of an arranged agreement. It wasn't just for, Saul, for David. It was any man who would kill Saul. I, I mean, uh, Goliath. How many of you remember that? the way it played out, okay? So any man who kills Goliath would get the hand of his daughter. So it wasn't necessary that Saul chose David to be the, the husband of his daughter. Any man could have been that. But here, we see something different. There's something happening here. Verse 17, Saul was attempting to manipulate David in a way that would lead to his death. I want you to look at verse 17, uh, chapter 18, verse 17. Then, see if I got this right. Yep. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Mirab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my, let my, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. What does this tell us? There's some manipulation going on. How many of you ever sensed people were manipulating against you? You ever sensed that? That's what's going on right here. There was some manipulation going on. Skip down to verse 23. So Saul's servant spoke those words in the hearing of David, and David, David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? Think about this. His own personal perception of who he was was something that Saul thought Saul differently. Saul's only thing Saul could focus on was how the people loved him, and his own family loved David. That's the only thing he could focus on. But David didn't see himself as all that. David still saw himself as a humble servant of God. How many of you think that would be pretty cool to have a celebrity to say that? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I'm not here to honor you. I'm here to honor my God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. That's a good word for all of us, isn't it? Someone has said, live for God and let him do the exalting. Beware of thoughts of personal greatness and don't believe all the good things others say about you. Don't believe the press. You're probably not that good. In this case, Saul was manipulating David in that way. How many of you ever felt like you've been manipulated with praise? And that's what you find here. Bless your heart. I'm going to have y'all so paranoid when y'all leave here this morning. You're not even going to know who to trust, right? But these are things that we see in this story. David had a healthy perception of who he was. It was because of his integrity. Next, we see the purity of David's life, the integrity of his character. Everything so far that we've discovered about David has given us the foundation for which we see his godly character demonstrated. So turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 
And I'll be brief with this. But there's something else that we find here. David the shepherd boy will become the future king. He is now a fugitive living in a cave. He's literally running for his life. Instead of being right there in the palace where uh, Saul could pin him to the wall with a spear, all of a sudden Saul's after him and David is running. Many of you remember the story. All of a sudden, David's in a cave and in Gedi, David's in a cave, Saul comes into that same cave. Wow, what a great opportunity, right? David could be thinking, God has delivered him right into my hands. This is too easy. But that's not how this is going to play out. You see, God brings King Saul. Many people believe, and I believe this, God brings King Saul into the same cave as David. David could have taken things in his own hands and murdered King Saul at this time and took his throne. The question I have for you is when the opportunity comes to get even or to get what you want, how do you present yourself? What do you do in those situations? The Bible says what about our situation? That God is a God of justice. God is a just God. He will take care of what needs to be taken care of. He has not assigned that responsibility to us as individuals to defend ourselves. He hasn't assigned that to us to bring vengeance. He said, I'll take care of that. How many of you would rather him take care of it deep down? But why is it that we think we got to? I've been in that situation where I thought I needed to take care of it. You know what I found out? I make a big mess when I attempt to do that. And it doesn't just affect me and the other person. It affects everyone around me when I begin to act outside of the character that God desires me to have. When it comes to beginning even when it comes to all those different things. So think of this. How many times do we manipulate situations to get what we want? Look back at verse 5. It even bothered him. If you look at verse 5, Saul comes into the cave. He obviously is there. David's in the back of the cave. Saul doesn't know he's there. David comes up and cuts a piece of his garment off. Part of that was to let Saul know, and we'll find out later, I could have had you. I could have taken things in my own hands. And we know that's how it's going to play out. David did not make him, listen to this, here's why he didn't. David did not make his life about himself. He valued what God valued. He saw things from God's perspective. He trusted God with his life and that God would take care of the matter himself. How many of you know the whole story? Does God take care of the matter himself? Absolutely. But David never manipulated the situation. The purity of David's life next, we see the integrity of his confrontation. When Saul leaves the cave, David follows him and sets the record straight. David follows clear biblical principles that teach us how to react when we've been wronged or hurt. And he's going to show us. The first thing we see is this, is that he took the first step. He took the first step. Look at verse 8 of chapter 24. It says, David also rose afterward, went, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. He's calling him out. How's he calling him out? He's calling him out in a way that brings respect. He's calling him out. He said, Okay, I'm coming to you. I want to set this straight. Part of what David had to set straight was the fact that it's been told out there by other people that David wants Saul dead. That, by the way, has never come from David's lips. 
He was misrepresented. That was not the case. And so David there, he's setting the record straight. So we see that he took the first step. Second of all, he humbled himself before Saul. Look at verse 8 again. And it says, and when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. That would, that would have been hard to do, wouldn't it? But he did. Humility was at the core of David's character. Let me tell you a couple things about pride and humility. Pride postpones reconciliation. Humility admits mistakes. Pride produces misunderstandings. Humility gives insight. Pride produces standoffs. Humility, humility produces solutions. Pride provokes arguments. Humility brings peace. Pride builds walls of discouragement. Humility brings bridges to diplomacy. Pride prevents intimacy. That's going on in a lot of marriages. Humility builds closeness. Pride promotes oneself. Humility promotes others. So here, so I want you to look at your situation you may be in. It's very similar to David. How do you act? What platform do you act from? A position of pride or a position of humility? I've been in similar situations that David was in. And I'm just going to tell you and learn from me. I've tried to respond from a position of pride. What does that sound like? How dare you do this to me? Who do you think you are? I was thinking, do you hear the pride in that? I've operated from that. And I've made a big mess in my life as a result of that. And then there's been times where I've gone the other way. And I've seen how God can bless that situation. And I saw how God just handled it. He didn't need me in the middle of it, manipulating it. He just called me to have a position of humility. He's calling us to have the same thing. So he took the first step. He humbled himself before Saul. Next, he spoke the truth. He correctly sizes up the situation. And then look at verse 9. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks you harm? Why are you listening to all that? I, I could have taken you out many times. Here's an example of when I didn't take you out right here. Again, what was, he, what was he talking to in Saul? He was talking to Saul's insecurities. You say, what was at the core of Saul's failure? His insecurity. I can't tell you how many people I talk to have such deep, penetrating insecurities. That has to be resolved within you before God can do anything with your life. You've got to deal with those insecurities. And so David is sizing up the truth. Next, he committed to do the right thing. If you look at verses 12 and 13, he says, let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. And the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. Next, he allowed God to do the judging. He basically said, this is in God's hands. Saul, if there's anything going to be done to you, it won't be done by me. God's going to take care of it. And we know he does in the end. Next, the purity of David's life. We see the integrity of his consolation. Let me just say this. Humility is a groundwork for which grace and mercy can be given. And what we find in verses 16 through 22, we find this very thing. But let's look at verse 17. Then he said to David, 
So, so Saul now has been presented with the facts. He's, David's removed the manipulations, the misunderstanding, and he's basically saying, okay, now here's the way this thing could have played out. I could have taken your life. And Saul's response, then he said, then Saul said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. That would have never come about if David had not handled what he did in the right way. You see, our goal in life is not only for us to get through it in the right and proper way. When there's, when there's true character in our lives, listen, we want to see even our enemies do it the right way. We want to help bring them to that point because that's what we've been called to. And we see this. David's grace in this situation touched the heart of Saul. I want to give you something here on the screen. My wife actually sent this to me. Um, it's funny, I, I don't know that she knew what I was going to be preaching on this week, but she sent this to me, and, and I want to show you something I thought was really cool. Go ahead and pull that up. This was, this was uh, put in by the Christian Post website, if you've heard of it. Uh, this was put out by Joseph Matiora. But here, here's what he says. Keep, keep going to that. The following are seven things we should do when unfairly accused. Now, after, the, after our, our gathering, we're going to put this back up here if you want to write these down. But I'm going to go through them quickly. Go ahead. There's, there's seven of them here. Pray for your enemies. Have we already been told that all through Scripture? Yeah, we pray for our enemies, okay? I believe that's in place to bring compassion to the situation, okay? Number two, hold no bitterness in your heart. Someone misrepresents you, someone says something on you, whatever it may be, they are try seeking to harm you, you can't hold bitters. Number three, understand that vindication comes from God. Every bit of this is clearly spelled out. Matter of fact, you go study the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous message Jesus taught, it's all right there. Next, continue to follow the course. You see, the problem is when people come into our lives and they manipulate us or mis bring misunderstanding or whatever, for a lot of people, they just stop growing right there because bitterness grips them and they just stop. But what are we called to do? Continue to follow the course. Number five, pray, for the, pray the Psalms. I, I was going to read this, but I don't have time, but Psalms 54. When someone's wronged you, it's a great attitude to have in Psalm 54. David wrote it. Number six, love everyone, but trust only a few. That, that almost sounds like it's wrong, doesn't it? But it's true. Number seven, walk in, in humility without intentionally inciting others. You see, David could have really went after Saul and incited him to come after him. But he didn't. The whole time he was saying, hey, let's stop the manipulation. So let's quit talking. Let's quit talking the subject everyone else is talking about. Let's look at truth in the matter and let's bring a resolution to this. That's what we need when people do us that way. So application. As you observe David's life, you will find that it was not perfect, but it was a life built on character. The foundation of his character was built on his faith in God. Are you a person of character? Do you see any semblance of what was in David's life in your own life? Maybe you'd say, you know something, I've never considered the things you've taught this morning. I've never saw that in this, in this book. I, I, I've never, in this story, I've, I've, never, I've never seen this. Can I tell you what just happened in your life? If, if you embrace this and live it out, you've been discipled. You've been discipled in how to live your life in the most effective way that you can. And the best way you can live your life the most effectively is to be surrendered, be steadfast, 
and, and be submissive to God's plan. That's where character is developed. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you for your many blessings. And Lord, there's so many ways that this sermon could have gone. There's so many ways that the story could have gone. But Father, I thank you for the character of David that we see so clearly played out. And I guarantee you, every one of us in this room can relate to some of this story where we've been misunderstood. We've been misrepresented. There are people out there who appear to be against us. It's probably born out of their own insecurities. And Father, I just pray that we won't be those that, that, that resolve things from our insecurities, from our pride, Father. Lord knows I've tried that. And it just leads to more insecurity and more manipulation. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would be like David in this story, that we will come to handle the issues of our lives, our problems, the things that we deal with from a position of humility. Father, we thank you for what you taught us here this morning. In Jesus' name.